Welcome to the Locals Only Lounge. Uh, coming back, I am your host, Andrew Dyer, uh, promising to get into the topic du jour today on social media. Uh, unless you are in a coma, uh, buried under the rubble of a collapsed building, or uh, perhaps you've been ejected into the mouth of a volcano, you know that MLS is coming to San Diego and that people have a lot of thoughts and opinions about that. So to help us get through this week's uh, drama and uh, activity, uh, we are absolutely thrilled to have uh, DK Aniwo on the pod. DK, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a long day, but uh, there's no better way to close it out than with my friends here tonight. So thank you for having me. So, um, I, I, I know you said you've been on the pod uh, in the past, uh, but just because it's been a while, can you kind of uh, introduce yourself? I mean, what do you do and what is your connection with the locals and with San Diego Loyal? Yeah, no, it's a great question. Uh, so, yeah, I used to, I've been on this podcast before once upon a time back in the day. I used to host, co-host uh, the Soccer Nation podcast. So many moons ago, uh, I used to be the editor-in-chief uh, of a locally based outlet called uh, SoccerNation.com, right? And we sort of positioned ourselves as, I think our tagline was locally known nationally, or locally grown nationally known. So long story short, for the better part of almost four years, kind of from 2015 to 19, uh, all through the first Soccer City, City Saga and a few, um, I'd say, landmarks, uh, I was sort of a soccer content creator, reporter. I don't like to use the word journalist because I feel like I have too much respect for the true profession. Uh, but I was really just a fan who worked for a, uh, I guess, retail company that had a content marketing arm. And so through that experience and through uh, that exposure, I'd say I was able to get quite close uh, to a number of different soccer specific, um, I'd say opportunities, chances, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, but basically, you know, startup opportunities, right? North County Battalion, Albion, 1904, Soccer City, San Diego Loyal, and now this MLS thing. I've sort of been there and thereabouts uh, for all those different things. You know, fun fact, my first job at college, the reason I moved to San Diego, actually, was to get involved with San Diego Flash, right, which is an NPSL team that used to play back in, uh, I think, at Del Norte High School back in the day. And so that that journey or that aspiration, that wanting to grow, you know, sort of a small thing into an MLS club, that's been on my to-do list for over 10 years now since I moved in 2012. So, like I said, been around for a long time. I've done a lot of different things. Um, after that Soccer City campaign, sort of took a professional pivot, started working in public affairs, public policy. I now work in government relations, so not necessarily uh, boots on the ground the same where I used to be. But I want to say that when the locals were first getting started, I was involved in a lot of those conversations. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think I was local. My member number was 006, um, right after Steve and you know all the gang kind of threw the locals together. I was, I was there. All right. And so I've been involved with soccer in this region for, like I said, 10 plus years, and we're still doing it now. Right. And in some ways, I'd say that we're never closer than we have been before to this whole MLS dream. Wow. You really did used to host a podcast, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you said long winded. Let's sign me up. John, hey, uh, um, our producer, John Cross, is also joining us. John, how are you, sir? I'm uh, doing very well. Super excited to have this chat with DK because DK and I used to do some fairly regular meetups at Bay City, and I don't think we've done it since before the pandemic. So DK, it's nice to finally, we've talked about it for years, and it's finally nice to have a have a chat. I first met DK with the battalion. 
is where we we first met. Yeah, 2015, if I'm not mistaken, Joe. Yeah. All right, so I want to get right into it. Um, You know, there's a reason I asked you to come on today. Um, Today, you know, I I called it in the first pod the uh, absolute worst kept secret in San Diego sports that MLS is coming uh, they're going to be a Snapdragon uh, member number six. Taylor is uh, our membership coordinator for the uh, locals. Um, he has checked the database, double checked the numbers, printed out on his dot matrix printer, and you are the number six. So that is very cool. Yeah, yeah. it's funny because I, I also play defensive mid what, back in the days when I used to lace up. So the six just felt right. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So. Tell me a little bit about your connection to, you mentioned you kind of move in these spaces, the soccer spaces in town. Um, What is your connection with this MLS group? Do you have any connection? Have you had conversations? Um, Do you know anything that maybe we don't know or that you are able to talk about tonight? I definitely probably know things that you don't. Uh, I am uh, comfortable talking about a number of things, probably not 100% of everything, because honestly, I've forgotten uh, certain things because, uh, to your point about my connection with this group, I think I first learned about this group in like March last year. Uh, it's been quite some time since at least the the existence, some of these, not all of them, but some of them uh, was brought to my attention. And so over the course of the last 15-ish months, I'd say, um, I've definitely had more time to process um, I and I feel like a lot of people have been dealing with the last couple of weeks and I have nothing but sympathy because it seems as though obviously from a locals, from a loyal supporter standpoint, um, it might not be the dream that we thought, right, as far as what we're actually getting here in reality. Um, but no, my, my reaction, like I said, it's, it's, it's nuanced and it's layered, right? Like I said, I moved here 11-ish years ago to start. Um, on this soccer journey and, and to try to establish an MLS team here in San Diego. And over the years, it's been failure after failure after failure after failure. So to a certain extent, right, there's a little bit of sort of relief and catharsis, right, from the fact that we're finally getting one, right, and that we're finally as a region uh, kind of stepping forward uh, into the level that I think most San Diegans feel like we should be in as far as, you know, professional sports, major professional sports. But, you know, after that soccer city campaign went the way that it did and uh, a few of us decided to kind of do different things with our lives uh and one of the big takeaways for me and frankly it's, it's almost embarrassing to say now but you know honestly one of my biggest takeaways from that whole soccer city thing is that oh we need more people in politics right because the next time we get an opportunity like this you know it's important to me and you know the soccer community that we don't mess it up right it felt as though the failure of soccer city was the best chance we were ever going to have uh, to get an MLS team. And, and frankly, I think even me, I was surprised at how quickly Loyal spun out of that. You know, credit to Landon, credit to Shannon, and some of the folks who um, carried over, even Kerry Taylor, Ricardo, uh, from the Soccer City campaign into, you know, the soccer side of, of what we now know as San Diego Loyal Soccer Club. But over the last four years since this soccer club was established and we've started to build a relationship with the ownership and started a relationship with the club, the front office, the community at large, um, it felt as though we were kind of really maybe taking a step, not back or anything, but it just felt like we were kind of taking a step in our own stride, right? Doing doing soccer the way that the community here in San Diego wanted it 
to be done. And so to see this MLS thing come in sort of separate and currently unaffiliated, that, that doesn't feel great, if I'm being honest. It doesn't feel um, appropriate. It feels like it's sort of, um, like I said, it's just it's not what was part of the plan that I think a lot of us have been working for for the last four or five years. So it's difficult to really articulate all of how I feel. But I would say that, like, yes, I've certainly had um, conversations with some of their front office, some of the folks there, and like I said, for a long time, I've I've known about it um, in concept, but I think the details that have only sort of really become public knowledge over the last, I don't know, three, four, five weeks, it feels like most of those are quite blurry. I think even, to be fair, even on the less ownership groups, you know, standpoint up until relatively recently. So I'm, I'm interested, and I think a lot of people are, are really curious about what this MLS uh, club is going to look at uh, the name I keep hearing being thrown around is FC San Diego. Uh, I think they didn't want to sound generic and be San Diego FC, so they really uh, spiced things up by putting the FC in front of the city. Um, uh, I, I don't know uh, what the thinking is or if they even have gotten this far in the branding, the crest, the colors. Um, do you know if, if they are even there yet? They, they're not there in a definitive standpoint, certainly not with respect to the crest. Um, I know that they've done a fair amount of market research. They've obviously, and whether it's, you know, the San Diego market specific, specifically, the soccer, the MLS kind of caliber brands, logos, colors, shields, circles, etc. Um, obviously, top flight soccer around the world. There's a number of different sort of, um, I guess, ways that you can cut data, right? And so they've done, I'd say, an extensive amount of research. Um, I do believe that because of some of the, I think just like facts and the, just the raw data that they have picked up in San Diego region that, you know, they, they might have a theme or a certain color way that they're looking at, but nothing specifically has been confirmed. My understanding is that what they, they want to do is after this announcement on Thursday, really kind of hit the ground running with respect to um, community feedback, you know, focus groups, community dialogues, listening tours, all, you know, you could all... The cynic, cynic in me who's done this like six or seven times is like, oh, yeah, it's the dog and pony show, right? It's like, yeah, you go around and get people's opinions and all that. But the fact of the matter is they have not yet secured or sort of, like I said, landed on anything specific, even as far as in the name, as far as I understand. So you mentioned some market research, and, and I've heard that this ownership group sees the MLS franchise not just as a local or community club, but as maybe more of a global brand or this potential to have uh, reach further than San Diego. Um, what kind of market research um, are, are you talking about and, and who, who is this club for? Who do they see themselves as being for? It's an excellent question. Um, what kind of market research? Like I said, I mean, they've, they've done surveys, they've done focus groups, they've done, um, you know, just comparative analysis. They've got folks doing sort of brand boards, mood boards, you know, of San Diego brands, right? Of, of different companies that have been sort of born and raised, if you will, here in San Diego and have gone on to, um, you know, become nationally known. Um, I, I don't know exactly what their sort of vision for the club is writ large, to your point, you know, national brand, international brand. Uh, I do know, though, that because their, um, I guess their wider organization's relationship with like FC Norseland is how you pronounce it, the team in Denmark that they own, between you know the right to dream different academies that they have in Ghana and Egypt. 
you know, this is obviously one component of a larger organization. I think that's fair to say. But, you know, I don't know that because of, I guess, other entities in this organization's wider portfolio that this club won't inherently be locally focused or, or even sort of run on a day-to-day basis by folks who are based here locally. It's, it's, it's still, like I said, yeah, I probably know more than the average person, but like I'm not from the ownership group, but I work for them. I don't like represent them in any meaningful way. Um, I, I just feel as though I, you know, I've been privy to certain conversations, which I, yeah, to a certain extent appreciate, but also, you know, I think we all are as a soccer community, like demanding a lot more than what we've gotten so far. Right, right. Now, as far as the uh, the supporters dilemma, you consider yourself a a loyal supporter, correct? That's correct. So, as a supporters group, our members make certain commitments and certain sacrifices to support this club, whether that is traveling to away games, whether that is buying merchandise or or, or devoting, you know, Saturday nights, Sunday afternoons to showing up at the games. Um, And a lot of these people especially the people that started the supporter group designed it because they wanted MLS. This came out of soccer city. Hell the San Diego loyal. You said it. San Diego loyal was born out of an effort to bring MLS here. They would have gotten an MLS franchise had soccer city worked. It didn't work. They started loyal the supporters. It didn't work. They started the locals, right? Now, five years later, the thing that everybody wanted more than anything in the anything else is coming. What do we do? Do you work in professional media, Andrew? That's a great question. What do we do? I think uh, honestly, no. It's 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 tough. I think it's going to be a case by case basis for everyone, right? I don't want to tell anyone how to think or what to think, but my stance and my approach in all of this is first and foremost to listen, right? Like I am, you know, I want to be clear. I think since I became aware of this entity's organization, the only thing that I've said in response is find a way to make it work with San Diego Loyal. Like that would be the only thing that I would ask, right? Having been taken into this person's confidence over a year ago, that's all I've said the entire time. So I, I understand the disappointment. I understand the, the lack of understanding. I understand um, a a lot of frustration with where this supporter group is, particularly because of what you just said, right? So much of what we have built over these last few years is a direct byproduct of the movement and the momentum that was started with Soccer City that sort of had to you know, be redirected and uh, ultimately found its feet here at the USL Championship level. So when it comes to what do we do, um, you know, like I said, I, I think it's important to at the very least hear out who these people are and, and hear from them. You know, there's been a lot of, as you have mentioned, speculation and sort of worst case type stuff around our, you know, UT has been running stories. I think ESPN's running a couple pieces here and there, but we haven't really truthfully up until this point heard directly as the public from this ownership group. And so what was interesting actually, is I start to really think about like this new MLS thing and, and kind of how, yes, I would say San Diego Loyal were, was born out of the soccer city movement, but Warren Smith, who really started uh, San Diego Loyal, had nothing to do with Soccer City. 
right? And, and I remember being um, fiercely skeptical uh, about this guy who I was hearing was going around town talking to people, sitting down with people, having beers with people. And, you know, in my late 20s, as I was at the time, being full of ego and, and mess as I was, I was very frustrated that like, I hadn't gotten that call, right? As someone who had been, I'd say, on the forefront of most soccer news for, for years. And so as I kind of think back to this most recent iteration of, like I said, I've done this a couple of different times at a couple of different levels. Um, I remember being very skeptical. I remember having questions. I remember not being satisfied. Uh, even when I did venture to down with one, I remember, you know, not being a staunch loyal fan from day one. I've grown into it, right? You know, I don't think it's a secret that I'm quite close friends with Carrie Taylor. And so folks who've been around from the beginning, remember she was lined up as our assistant coach and obviously didn't uh, wind up being, you know, all the way through season one. So it took me a while as an individual to, I'd say, come on board and come full circle and grow in my support and, and loyalty, if you will, to this club. And I think when it comes down to like what I think folks should do is just to, to listen, to stand back to, and obviously if you're committed to loyal as, as most of us are, I think there's a healthy level of skepticism that we're all going to carry forward. I think the statement that Andrew and the club put out last week Wednesday was powerful in a lot of different ways. I think it gave, um, I know me at least, a lot of confidence that at the very least it was not going to evaporate overnight and see out the season. I interpreted that as, you know, we'll see the field in 2024 and beyond as well. So I don't know that we necessarily need to do anything in this entire moment or this exact moment. Um, I want to sit back. I want to listen. I want to hear. I want to try to better understand uh, is that not just the ownership is because it's very important, but I think also who's, who's the senior leadership, right? What's the sweet seat looking like? What is their community relations department? I actually remember, uh, I want to say, having a podcast with Jerry shortly after um, Loyal was sort of first announced as USL San Diego back in those days and, and kind of having that same question. At the end of the day, like, I want to know what it is that these people who, you know, seek to be owners of this club, I want to know what their commitment is to the community. I want to know what their community relations department, how, how well is it funded in, as a proportion of their budget, right? Is it all ticket sales? Is it all this? Is like, like, where, like, what are we talking about here? Right now, I just feel like we've, we've lived in this speculation for so long that, there are only questions and frankly, not enough answers. So in the immediate short term, I'd say chill, be calm. Like I said, Loyal are not going anywhere this year. I don't think they're going anywhere the year after. Um, and so we have time between now and 2025 when this MLS thing is talking about kicking balls uh, to learn a lot more. And I can assure you that I will be learning as much as I can every single day. I, I do want to give John the opportunity to, to weigh in and, and maybe ask a question, but I, I do want to ask you one one more thing, just because um, I feel like because this is a supporters-focused podcast, we our, our audience is people who are involved with the supporters section, which is much different, as you know, than the rest of the stadium, right? This is a yeah. totally different thing. Um, I think for a lot of people in San Diego, including myself, you know, supporting a USL club is the only real exposure we have with supporter culture and with participating in a supporters group. Can you maybe just talk a little bit about what a supporters culture or supporter group for an MLS club looks like in comparison to what we're doing in Torero Stadium? I'd say broadly speaking, obviously they vary quite a bit. I think our, our closest um, 
natural point of comparison is the 3252 up in LA. And, and you know, there's, there's a combination of what you see on game day in the stands, right, with respect to the noise, the energy, the support in and of itself, the coordination that goes into, you know, songs, chants, TIFOs, all of it. <clears throat> there's that, right? But I'd say that the vast, that's almost like the tip of the iceberg, right? It's the stuff that you do see. But so much more of the time, the energy, the effort, the money, uh, that is spent from the members of the locals and, and Chavos and all these different supporters clubs that have come up. It's it's less about, I don't know. You talk about what supporter culture means to me and what it looks like in, in, in the MLS. I, my sense of 3052 is something of an anomaly, right? They stand out um, across the majority of the MLS clubs as I know them. And I said, bear in mind, I've not worked in soccer on a day-to-day basis in four or five years. So I'm not as sharp as I once was, but broadly speaking, MLS clubs, particularly the, the legacy clubs, right, the version 1.0s, like the Galaxies, the New England Revolutions, uh, they don't do it like we do it, that's for sure. Um, I don't think that the average supporters group, if you will, organizing tour drives in Barrow, right, uh, for Thanksgiving, I don't think that the average MLS supporters group um, moves in the way in coordination with the level of access to the front office that we have here. Uh, with Loyal and 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 Ricardo and and you know even Andrew I'd say to a large degree, uh, that type of relationship doesn't exist um, at most other levels of soccer, whether it's MLS and anywhere else, right? Honestly, you know I'm a Manchester United fan first and foremost, right? And so to see Andrew like run around giving out his personal cell phone, I look that compared to the Glazers and it's like wow, I would kill to have an Andrew like excuse me an owner like Andrew any day of the week. So there's a range, right? But I would definitely say that what we have here in my experience and in my perspective. In San Diego is special, it's different, it's unique, it's authentic. It is like a, I think, real opportunity for us as a community to stand tall and to show out on a national basis week in and week out. I think we do that very well. John, I, I wanna, I know we've been kind of going for a minute um, and you've been waiting patiently. I know you came into this as a producer and have only this season stepped up from behind the curtain to uh, take center stage. I do want to give you the opportunity to weigh in on the conversation or, or, or ask any uh, burning questions that um, you may have come up with uh, through the course of this conversation. Center stage. Huh? All right. I, um, I, I do have several things. We'll see what we get to. We'll, we'll start with my first Tika, you alluded to it. Well, actually, before I do anything, I don't want to forget and bring this up because I think, Dika, you've had a huge influence on a lot of people in our local soccer community. And my first thing is, what, what are your thoughts about that? Do you, do you feel like that? Do you feel like a leader in the soccer community? Do you try to do things to influence or inspire, maybe is a better word? Um, or do you just do your own thing? Thank you, John. First of all, I don't I don't know that I wake up in the in the morning on any given day trying to inspire anyone. Um, influence, though, sure, I will acknowledge that. I, I I do like to get involved and you know throw throw whatever weight I do have around. Um, I think it's important to me, and just like if I just take a step back, it's like I said, it's less about anything that I deliberately try to do. It's just I think it's more about how I conduct my life. Right, I'm a soccer fan first. Um, I believe in community. I believe in um, giving people an opportunity. I believe in growing the game to the best of my ability. And I know that the San Diego region is rich in the soccer culture, soccer community. Happened since before I moved here and will continue to be here long after I'm gone. 
And so, you know, I guess the, the influence that I may have had, it's less because of anything that I, you know, whiteboarded or, or brainstormed and said, here's my plans for how I'm going to rule the world and more about just me trying to go about living my life according to my values. Right. And, and we have had um, lots of conversations over the years as from our first times working together with the NC Battalion. And I agree with something you said earlier. One of your biggest strengths is listening to people and engaging people from across the aisle, so to speak. And I know there were a lot of times with uh, during Soccer City and as things got very heated uh, in discussions and social media, I know you several times reached out to Aztec fans and people and met some people personally um, and engaged with them to kind of hear what yeah. they had to say. And we had one time where together, we got together with somebody at their house and, and filmed a little piece um, just to talk, have a barbecue and, and talk the, the merits yeah, of the plans. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, so with all of this, this kind of goes as a couple of things. This one is what most has surprised you about the the success of the loyal in terms of being like a bigger club and and the supporter group and everything else and and the ownership what what is the biggest thing that has surprised you and along those lines i i noticed recently i'm hearing i'm seeing some of the same names come up again that i saw on social media you know through all the soccer city stuff and i think some people are having a really hard time wrapping their brains around how somebody could continue to support a, a lower league team and not a top tier team and that connection. So I'm curious what you think about that as to maybe why some people would struggle with that, but also to tie in, what, what is the biggest thing that surprised you about SD Loyal over these four years that like you did not think this, we, we would be where we are today. That's something that really stands out. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think the reality is it's, it's twofold, right? One, it's it's the owner, right? The ownership and, and the senior leadership of the club. I, I have to give a ton of credit to Andrew, uh, Ricardo, Warren before Ricardo. A number of folks who have been in decision-making um, positions at the club who have time and time again made a conscious choice to be accessible, to be accountable, to be open and available for questions, for answers, for difficult conversations, um, for truth and transparency. I think that is far away. You know, I mentioned the 3250 being an anomaly in MLS supporters culture. I think that the ownership, and that's what's the ownership itself, but the ownership's philosophy towards community, towards club, that is like, feels to me like a one in a million situation, right? You know, the San Diego uh, community knows what a bad owner in the sports capacity looks like, right? They're, they currently play up at SoFi, right? So, to see the contrast, just the raw and severe contrast between, like I said, I'm a Man United fan and, you know, our owners are absentee, right? They show up maybe every few years, right? Whereas most of the times I was out of the game on Saturday, I was with my mom and I was able to, just because I just walking past each other, I saw Andrew and I said, hey, Andrew, this is my mom. I'd like to introduce you to her because you've never met her, All right? So I'd say what blows me away and what stands out as far as Lowell's identity is, is the ownership and the leadership's commitment to community and commitment to transparency and commitment to, I, I didn't say accountability, right? Because I think about you know, how season one ended, I 
think about, you know, how last year with, you know, number 30 signing on and all of that. Uh, no one ever hit. No one ever ghosted anyone. No one ever tried to be, you know, anything other than honest about what has happened at every step of the way through this club's, um, I'd say, short life cycle. So that's what stands out to me. And then so I had a second part of the question that was, what, what do I ask why, why do you think for some of, especially, I, I would, I'm going to categorize them probably unfairly, but a lot of, say, um, SDSU football fans, right? Oh, who oh, yes. My friends on Twitter. Right. But I mean, I think a lot of them struggle to just even wrap their brain around how I, I think some of them think we might be doing this out of spite rather than love for our club that we have. Why, why do you think some of them might be having such a hard time wrapping their brain around this idea, which is which is relatively foreign in American sports? Like, Why, yeah, why would you support a lower league team over a top tier team? Yeah, I, you know, like I said, it's a long day and the cynic in me wants to say a one word answer that's ignorance, but that that's not fair to, to just boil it down to that. I do think that perspective is important. I do think that uh, recognition of what this game is, what isn't. Uh, I think if you're going to start to talk about people who are maybe American football fans, first and foremost, or baseball fans, or anything that's not soccer, and have not been a soccer fan for any length of time, <clears throat> I think it is fundamentally difficult to comprehend why fans, supporters, etc., would be attached to anything that's not the absolute top, right? I could go on a whole long tangent about American exceptionalism and the sort of fallacy that we believe in as far as why we're the greatest country on earth and all these things. I won't tonight, but find me at Bay City, I will. Um, but I think that's it's part of American culture, frankly. I, I honestly think that if unless you are experienced and have been exposed to this game at a variety of levels for any length of time, it's really hard, even for me who has been, you know, effectively since the day I was born, part of this soccer community, it's still really difficult to articulate what it is that separates, you know, soccer from anything else, that separates the relationship between a supporter and, you know, an NFL fan, right? I think that um, it's almost like you, you don't, it's like, like, you, like, I know it when I see it, but I can't really define it type thing. And I, I think that's that's fundamentally part of it. I think also, you know, if we're going to talk about SEC football fans, so to speak, which I understand your generalization is not specific, but that crowd in particular, I, I think also as much as they might think that, or, you know, there might be this impression out there that loyal fans are, are feeling spiteful. I think there's also a very real recognition from the soccer community that, you know, at this point, after all of the heartache and, you know, trials and tribulations we went through on that whole Super City thing, and all of the stances that we took that were hardline stances about how Hamas will never do this, and never do that, to see, you know, to see what's a cut of, of Thursday, I think that gives us a lot of, um, at least for me, I don't want to speak for anyone else, but it's just like, oh man, I feel like I just clench up, right? I'm, I'm, I'm getting braced for the victory lap that these folks are going to take. And look, credit to them. You know, credit where credit's given, like, or where it's due. Like, they said a thing and they did a thing. So I can only tip my hat. But I honestly do think that, like, when it comes to, you know, the disconnect, right? Like I said, to a certain extent, some people don't want to understand. Some people are not interested in understanding. I think some people are more interested in um, crowing at the fact that they've won this round, so to speak. Um, but all that we've really gotten confirmed is that we are getting an expansion franchise, right? And so... For those of us who are community focused, who are 
uh, concerned in any way, shape, or form about what the club does, what a club needs, what my relationship with that club might mean or what it might say about me. Um, you know, we're, we're not there yet, right? And so that's why I said I think we should listen to what these new folks have to say. But at the same time, like, you know, if you feel as though your identity resonates with Tendio Loyal, which I think a lot of us do, uh, you know, we'll just keep, keep it on. There, there, you know, there are a number of different uh, examples of cities, municipalities all across the world, multiple teams, multiple levels of soccer. Obviously here in San Diego and in the United States, we have a couple different um, caveats, if you will. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I'm less interested in what you or, you know, some of these people have to say and what they think and more interested in, like I said, supporting a soccer community that feels like mine, right? That I call home, where I feel comfortable, where I feel uh, validated in the scene. That's my that primary uh, focus in all this. You know, I know y'all don't want to uh, roll in the mud, but uh, I love it. And I will I will say it. Let me tell you. <laughs> and I graduated San Diego State. So, And I graduated in 2018. I was there for Soccer City. Um, anybody with, like, Aztec for Life in their, their Twitter bio or uh, Montezuma, a name that has been retired for, like, almost 30 years, uh, red flag right there. Red flag. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I, I, this goes back to the whole mascot thing. Like the Aztecs is not a, uh, a name that um, I personally identify with. I do not identify as an Aztec. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I do know why the school still uses it, but uh, this goes back. Uh, these arguments and these conversations kind of go back. And there was a group of people, during the mascot fight, uh, I was the editor of the paper and, and covered this extensively, um, who really leaned into the cartoon Indian and Montezuma and Aztec stuff when the mascot fight was happening at San Diego State. Um, and I am generalizing uh, caveat a little bit, but a lot of those are the same people that Maybe in your mentions now, uh, doing some kind of a, a victory dance. Um, I will say that the MLS expansion was part of San Diego's pitch for uh, uh, was it Measure C? Uh, was the Measure G. G. Measure G. Oh my goodness, these measures. Measure G. Thank you for knowing that, by the way. Usually Jason has to correct me in the chat. I wish I did, um, but I do. <laughs> But yeah, so this was part of San Diego State's pitch, and um, it 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 happened, and I mean we we were all surprised to watch this stadium rise from the ground, uh, in a in under a decade, uh, a, a land speed record for San Diego development, um, and now the MLS is coming as sold, so, um. Yeah, like like you were saying, that's definitely uh, part of the 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 kind of the the calculus maybe in some of the the San Diego State side. But to me, like this is not about San Diego State. They're just the landlord. This is about MLS, right? Not not even the Monsoor Group, right? To Dream Saquon, they're going to do what they're going to do, but. It is MLS, the entity. It is the U.S. Soccer Federation as a federation that has set the stage and laid the groundwork for a conflict such as what we're seeing 
to exist because they make the rules. That is their walled garden, right? Um, theoretically, a investment group bringing MLS to San Diego could, as other investment groups have done in USL cities, purchase the rights to the USL club and bring that club to MLS in some way, shape, or form. Um, but I think if you are MLS and you're asking an expansion fee north of $500 million, uh, $150 million more than a franchise that just expanded a couple years ago, right? Um, this is, to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, please, because I one, I'm wrong a lot, and two, I don't want to talk from a position of ignorance because I am one of these ignorant people. Uh, <laughs> but, like, to me, this is an arbitrary number. This is a number that Don Garber and MLS pulled out of uh, their, their heads. Um, and that's the expansion fee. Now, if that expansion fee were, oh, I don't know, lessened or lowered by the difference that it would cost for this investment group to maybe bring Loyal up, maybe we have a solution that works for everyone, right? Oh, maybe we charge them $470 million instead of 500 and that gives them the budget to work with Loyal in a way that makes Loyal's owners and investors happy. Um, but that's not what we're happening, what, what is happening. And, and you've got much more experience talking with and, and dealing with MLS. What is your impression of MLS as a business entity, as a sports league, um, it, it, even in comparison to, to USL? I mean, we're talking to very different organizations, but MLS, is it a fun league? Like, is it fun to follow MLS? USL, to me, is so fun. And we have so much fun at these matches. We have so much fun uh, getting to know these players. This league, this wild kind of weird league that, you know, you know, San Antonio can go and win seven to nothing. Uh, you know, it's it just MLS as a business, as a league, as a product. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. Uh. It's interesting. I, I feel like I, I, to your point, yes, I've been around and have been sort of immersed in a lot of these conversations for a long time. I think I should caveat all of what I'm about to say and say that, you know, I'm one of those people who like cursed by the appreciation of nuance, right? My girlfriend hates it, how well I split words. Um, and so bearing in mind that this is a, a local podcast. And so, I, you know, from the perspective of a fan supporter, that answer is going to be very different from, you know, the business econ major that I am and, and as a contra on the business model or as you know if i'm a shareholder right my point of view is going to vary but as a fan i don't think that i mean here's the thing we all know what soccer at the highest level looks like right we watch at the world cup we watch at the uefa League. you know we've got bundesliga Serie A, la liga all these you know premier league Trero, yeah we watch there <laughs> yeah there's a whole thing but the fact of the matter is mls is not the top quality like soccer product on the planet and it, it pro I mean, it probably never will be, but certainly not today, and not for the foreseeable future, right? So when you say, is it fun to watch? Is it like, yeah, sure. I mean, I think a lot of it is manufactured. I think a lot of particularly like the promotions and the gimmicks, I think we're getting into rivalry weekend. This weekend is a thing. 
and I mean, I assume that we will be assigned a rival uh, as, as uh, we have an expansion club that kicks off here. You know, from a supporter standpoint, from a from a consumer standpoint of the product, I'm also like very much whatever to me, right? I do think that the new Apple TV deal like looks cooler, looks better, and I give them a few bucks and I watch what I can because I feel obligated to pay closer attention now. Um, now you're one of the only Apple, ones, right? Like, yeah, I think I'm one of the few. It's, well, we got this Apple TV, so like, it's like once you get the box, it's way easier to just face ID and take my money. But the fact of the matter is, having been a soccer fan in Southern California for the last 30 something years, you know, I've, I've tried to go to at least one MLS game per season ever since I've had anything that approaches disposable income. Right? I try to take it in. You know, there are credible moments and memories that have been sort of, I guess, fostered by us. I, I remember going to the first of our El Trafico with some of my buddies from college and sitting in the stands watching Zlatan come off the bench and hit that ball. Like, I close my eyes and that the flight of that ball is burnt into my iris. Like, I can see it to this day. All right, so it's not as though that, like, there's not ever anywhere that's going to come from MLS that's positive. But I think if we're being really honest about why, I, speaking for myself and I assume other fans, like, the reason that I wanted an MLS club in the absence of anything was because that was the top and the best. Right. When we got San Diego Loyal, it gave us a new opportunity to engage with this game and to engage with, like I said, our community uh, around this game in a way that feels really good to the vast majority of us. Right? That's why we do it. That's why we spend the time, the money. That's why we ride the bus. That's why we you know, initiate partnerships. That's why we you know, got Eileen doing merchant. It's just like it's because it feels right. It feels natural and, and there's nothing wrong with it. Right? I do think, though, that when you start talking about MLS as a brand, as a product, as a league, yeah, I think if you're a soccer purist, there's a lot to be uh, desired. I think if you're, you know, someone who just wants to represent San Diego or someone who wants to see San Diego represented positively, then, you know, at this stage, it's it's great to be excited. Particularly, I think, and honestly, this is just my opinion, but if you're someone who was sort of like hurt by the NFL team leaving and feel as though there's still that void and that gap, particularly if you haven't sampled, you know, the product that is San Diego Loyal, I completely understand why people in town are excited. Um, I recognize that the vast majority of folks don't have perspective that even, you know, those of us on this chat do, much less me myself. Um, but what I would say is that at the end of the day, like any league is just a league, right? I think the relationship between the community and its club is ultimately what matters the most, you know? And I think it, it was you actually, or maybe Jason on last week's podcast, Andrew, who, so it's not been for the last couple of years any sort of organized effort to bring an MLS team here to San Diego. I, I think that we have, we, the soccer specific community, this, you know, this seed, this kernel that has latched on to loyal, I would say that we've been content. <laughs> we've been thrilled, frankly. Um, honestly, and I've said to a few folks, I feel like our, our, our supporter group has been spoiled. Right? When I, like I said, turn to mind, I'm a United fan, and, and you just look at the discrepancy between what we have here in San Diego with our ownership and our leadership compared to very pretty much every other professional organization around town. You see the Galaxy and Chris Klein, right? He's not taking supporters' calls. <laughs> um, so I go on forever, but I think ultimately what, what, I, what I find to be irrelevant is what league San Diego's team plays. I don't care, right? I, I want a team that's here in San Diego where I can roll out of bed on a weekday, on a weekend, go watch a game, hang out with my people, you know, see some X's and O's, watch it or two, 
and have this be part of my life. That's all that I want, right? I want to see an organization that reflects my values and my morals sure, sure. and something that I'm not afraid of being affiliated with. And that's good enough for me, right? And I think that's good enough for most folks who are soccer-specific fans. But MLS is not, I don't think, geared towards those of us who are dyed in the wool. Right, it's right. Got other, it's got other objectives. So one thing that uh, I believe the MLS group is really going to lean into and this is actually something that I agree with them. This is probably their best selling point is uh, the prospect of an MLS Academy system in San Diego. Um, I've heard rumor that this is where Saquon really comes in, that there may be some sort of a, a land deal uh, on some of their tribal lands to build a, an Academy. Have you heard anything about this? Is it true? And um, what does a professional Major League Soccer Academy, does that change the youth soccer landscape in San Diego? Yes. To be clear, yes, I, I think it does, right? Having a, a residency-type program that's here, that's fully funded, that is merit-based from a player standpoint, like that does shift the paradigm significantly. I don't want to hire on that. And I was at, I was at, I think there were a few of us who were at this thing last week, Thursday, right? Also at BCB, um, where someone from this MLS group was there and kind of talking a little bit about the youth academy, the youth setup, the the sort of the model that Right to Dream uses and how that kind of compares and contrasts with what we have here today, right? Specifically, Loyal Select came up. And there was someone in the audience who was a father of a player who I think is a 17-year-old now, who was basically talking about, yeah, just how different a uh, fully funded, you know, sort of U.S. soccer affiliated development academy structure is compared to what we currently have here with our youth pay to play model, even, you know, loyal select where to be fair. And I think, you know, if we're going to really cut to the core of it is effectively a, it's selected. Right? It's a regional. You, you can call no it, I think calling yeah. it all-star team is a little bit corny. They don't have, they yeah, don't I have mean, open yeah, tryouts. You're, you're selected because you're elite, right? Your club director likes no, you and sends no, you to no. oil. But what I will say is that, like, in that conversation, someone basically made – oh, excellent. Yeah. But someone made a comment that said that what Loyal have with Loyal Select is a nice try, but it's not the real thing. And, and to be fair, like, I didn't want to say anything in that moment because I was just trying to be an observer. But that really kind of didn't sit well with me. I feel as though what Loyal has been doing is a start, right? I would say Loyal Select is a nice start, not a nice try, right? We recognize – that we are not in our final form, right? Like to use uh, an example that I used in the room the other day, it's like, how are you going to bully me for being a Charmander when I, you know eventually I'm about to be a Charmander, right? Like I'm getting there. Like let me do my thing. Um, and I think that was some some part of what like that stood out to me of that specific comment. But yes, I, I have heard that piece about, you know, potentially building a residential academy on uh, tribal lands. And for anyone who doesn't work in government relations or doesn't understand land use, um, I think there are a number of, um, I guess you could say, advantages that come with building on tribal lands, primarily not being subject to CEQA and a variety of other things uh, that tend to slow down development. Has CEQA ever um, slowed down a development, DK? Are you saying that? Yeah, it happens with <laughs> distressing frequency. I don't know if you guys remember my 2020 version, but man, that, you know, it, it happens, right? And so... Long story short, I do, from a player development standpoint, right, and as someone who grew up playing and was never going to be good enough to actually make that transition to a professional, 
primarily, and you know, sorry about it, but primarily because the infrastructure wasn't there, right? The system wasn't there. There was no, I'm 33 now, right? So there was no place when I was growing up where you could go and, and, and immerse yourself in that culture. There was no place where you could turn on the TV and watch as much Premier League as we do, as much like, just like, it's different gravy, right? And so I'm excited from like a youth opportunity standpoint for the kids, girls who will be able to come through, you know, this structure. Um, I just feel as though it's important to say, like, we should be, I think, honest. Loyal was on their way there. I don't know what the full, like, five, ten-year plan for Loyal Select is, but as I understand it, it was always meant to be the seed of its own academy that would grow over time. And fortunately, I just don't know if it's going to have the opportunity to do that because we have this other thing coming in that, that might, you know, I don't know if it's suck up all the talent. I think there's too much talent here in San Diego to be sucked up by one residential academy, but it's definitely going to shift things over the next three to five years. For my friend who made that comment at, you know, at Bay City last week, he's already 17. Then yeah. Whether it's this MLS Academy or anything else, I guess it's too late for that kid, right? This is really, I think we should kind of like draw a hard line in the sand and recognize that the opportunity from player development standpoint that we're really talking about is not for anyone who's hit puberty today. Right. We're really talking about the next generation and like their upward mobility is going to be, I think, incredibly reinforced by the advent of this academy. So I want to take it back a little bit. And, and I know that you and I both have hard outs at, at 10 o'clock, so I don't want to uh, I don't want to go too long on this. But you mentioned something earlier that. Um, I've been thinking about, I can't get it out of my head. You you talked about the supporter culture and everything that's grown around loyal, um, oh. San Diego loyal with this MLS expansion franchise coming to town. Is that support around loyal? Is it only there because all we had for men's soccer was loyal? And once MLS is established, it's going to disconnect and go over there because that's kind of what a lot of people, um, people, some of them in the comments right now, um, very excited about MLS, uh, very excited to be a supporter group, being a supporter group for that MLS team. Um, I don't know how much time uh, you or anybody else has in their lives, but I certainly don't have the time to be in a supporter group for two clubs. Uh, it, it's all encompassing. So um, what's your reading? Um, is the support for loyal strong enough and, and those that community and those bonds over the last four years strong enough to survive uh, the, the proposition of going and being in a supporter section that instead of having 150 people has, 3,500 people instead of having, you know, six drums or seven drums has, I don't know. I don't even know how many drums, right? Like, is it enough to overcome the lure and the appeal as a supporter, as somebody who enjoys supporter culture of being part of that? Yeah. And I want to be very clear. Like, I think my, my answer is yes. Right. Like at the end of the day, as long as there's one of us, right. There's enough. As long as anyone who, who stands tall and is in the away end at any given game, you know, shouting defiance and supporting their club, that's enough. I think, at least for, in my opinion, right, that's just me. 
the end of the day, like from a club operation standpoint, it feels like an Andrew Vasiliadis uh, decision, right? But I don't think that just because a new, shiny, arguably, you know, higher quality product comes to town, that 100% of what has been grown and developed, as you said, around loyal will ship. I, there, you know, I'm realistic enough to say there will be a percentage of people who are, you know, you think about those concentric circles, right? The, clo- the people who are closest to the core, right? The OGs, the folks who started this whole thing, you know, I suspect that they're going to have a, diff- a more difficult time disconnecting and pulling away than someone who heard about Loyal last week for the first time, right? So there's a range. There's always going to be a spectrum. I think some people will yet get sucked up. And, you know, honestly, there are probably some weirdos who will support both. I, I shouldn't say weirdos, but, like, I think it's a weird thing to support multiple clubs in the same market. I, I think, it's, Frank, it's a little bit weird to support Manchester United and saying, Loyal. I get made fun of by my, you know, Premier League fans all the time. But the reality is, I think the support that's here has coalesced and concentrated around Loyal is more than sufficient. I think even though, um, obviously, like I said, there's headwinds and all this sort of speculation, I was at the game on Saturday night, I, I don't feel like 109 missed a beat, right? If anything, I actually felt like 109 was louder than usual, right? And I think that maybe has something to do with the fact of a warrior standing tall. Um, one thing to be aware of is that this MLS thing isn't talking about kicking off till 2025, so you've obviously got years to go. Um, and maybe, you know, I'm not here to give false hope, but maybe sometime between now and the kickoff of 2025, there's some sort of resolution that makes all of, you know, this angst that we're going through in the moment feel a little bit foolish, right? I would hope that just because there isn't something that's, you know, inked going into Thursday's announcement, that you know, that door is still open, that there are still conversations. Um, but, you know, I'm not in charge of anything, right? So short answer, yeah, answer. I can run it back. You just, you just heard it. I think that's a really good spot to end on. Um, I, I I know we've got about five more minutes. Um, if you're in the chat now and you have, like, a burning question, um, uh, put it now, put it in now or, or forever hold your peace and, and – unless somebody does dk where can people find you what's the best way to connect with you um i think still probably the best way is just on twitter it's just at dk Neo, which is my first and last name but um most people can find i'm everywhere man. i'm on linkedin i'm on instagram on not on uh blue sky just if anyone has an invite go ahead and send that my hey, that's my bit i asked for blue sky hey man hey man you gotta get in I'm line not- I'm not there yet, but one day I will be because I tend to be everywhere. But no, I think Twitter is realistically the best way, and then most people have my number too, so call me whatever. Hey, thank you so much. John, uh, once again, where can people connect with you, sir? Uh, best places on Discord at John Cross. And um, John, before we sign off on, on this pod, I wanted to give you a chance once again to uh, – talk about your project and um, extend uh, an invite to, to the audience we have right now. Okay. So um, there's, if you haven't seen it before, I did a docu-series for the first season of the locals. It was called forever loyal. And I did that under my side project that I do soccer shorts. We are picking that series up again this year, especially with all the stuff that's going on. Um, But we're doing it under the locals umbrella rather than under the soccer shorts umbrella. 
And we are at the point now that we have some firm information with what's going on with MLS and they're announcing and we expect that this week. But we're at the point where we want to start taking some interviews. So I am looking for some people who are who are willing to be on camera and probably more than once this season that we could check in with you, check in with you at different times and just kind of, you can help give us your thoughts about what's going on around the soccer culture in San Diego and the community and what's going on with the locals to help us build the content we need to put this docu-series that we will edit uh, during the off season and get it ready before the start of next season. So that is my, um, push to kind of get the word out there. And also if you're interested in being part of it to help out in any way, because last time I did it pretty much all by myself. So we're trying to expand both the help on the production side and get, um, get content and get people, um, get some more interviews. Cause frankly, the other one was done as we went into the pandemic and I didn't get all the interviews I would have liked to have done to put into that one. So now we got the opportunity to do the interviews. I'm going to be at Alesmith early this weekend for the watch party um, and maybe pick up some interviews there. But if you're interested at all, reach out to me because it's over the summer. I'm probably going to make arrangements probably on game days to just try to hit some people up and, and conduct those interviews. So like I said, we can start building content. And if you'd like to help do B-roll or anything else, come find me. I could really love the help so we can get this put together this year. Um, before we before I do sign off, uh, uh, one question did come up. Uh, Esteban's asking if uh, you know what's happening on the twentieth and what people can expect at Snapdragon, the event on the twentieth. That's Saturday, yeah, when we're all supposed to be at a watch party, by the way. But go ahead and answer. Yes, yes. Um, I do know what's going on on the twentieth. Um, so to be clear, the press conference and like announcement announcement is Thursday morning. The, and that's like sort of an invite only situation. If you're not on the media list, then like they might not let you in. So don't go uh, unless you've been invited. But Saturday, the 20th, big time event. They're going, I think they're they're opening up the concourse level at Snapdragon Stadium. So not like the stands or like the bleachers up top or anything, but all of like the beer and like basically like the drink vendors, the food vendors that will all be open. As I understand it, it's not meant to be like a super scripted event. It's kind of just like a come one, come all. They are taking uh, deposits for season tickets in 2025. It's a $20.25 deposit to represent the fact that they're playing in 2025. That's being donated to charity of some kind. Um, but no, it's, it's meant just to be a big party. Uh, that's my understanding. Unless something's changed last week or so, but that's my understanding. Awesome, awesome. Um, well, Thank you so much for jumping on. I know it was short notice today, but um, it's been great having you on and sharing some of your, your knowledge. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure uh, everybody who is watching and who will listen in the future appreciates it as well. Um, I'm Andrew Dyer. I'm on Twitter at Andrew P. Dyer. Um, I'm also in search of a Blue Sky invite, as I um, have been begging uh, every week now. Um and yeah, that's going to do it. Um, we will see everybody at Elsmith on Saturday for the watch party, Miami FC. We're going to go in and we're going to get back on track. Um, and until then, uh, goodbye. <laughs>